You are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Many older Native peoples respect and prefer traditional medicine over medicine practiced by Western populations. This is only one of the many challenges facing doctors treating those in the Native American community today who are diagnosed with cancer. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Joel Heller, and with me today is Dr. Linda Burns-Stipidoff, President and Grants Director for Native American Cancer Research in Pine, Colorado. Today we are talking about the challenges of cancer treatment within the Native American community. Welcome. Let's begin by talking about the growing concern about cancer in the various tribes today. How do most people in the uh, Native Americans get their health care, their basic health care? Um, basic health care, it, it varies by state by state. Example, the highest number of American Indians are living in California, but only 4% get their health care through Indian Health Service. You're looking at alternative forms of health care in that setting. In our state right now, in Colorado, we have probably 1% are getting their health care through Indian Health Service. We have more than half go without insurance at least part of each year. We have about one-third that consistently have insurance, and the others occasionally are on indigent care or they're on another type of program, but it fluctuates throughout the year. We don't find the same type of insurance coverage from one year to the next, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, private insurance, catastrophic insurance, Indian Health Service, and our local urban Indian program that's supported through Indian Health Service does not have any money to provide any cancer or any services other than some basic glucose tolerance test and a few other uh, minimal types of services. Other clinics have a few things more, such as Seattle Indian Health Board. They have a much more comprehensive clinical program. So it varies by state by state and by clinic by clinic what people can do. And when we say clinic by clinic, let's take Colorado, for example. Is, are there a number of different tribes that we're talking about? Yes. In our local community, we have over 60 tribes who are just in the Denver metropolitan area. But if you're looking at where we have reservations, there are two reservations in the southwest corner of the state, and that's the Ute, Mountain Ute tribe and the southern Ute tribe. We also have a touch of Navajo that gets into Colorado. You know, so we have some reservations, but they're way down in the south uh, west corner. When we talk traditional Indian medicine, are the patients choosing that because they have distrust for the Anglo system? Is it a comfort issue? Is it is an access issue? Or some are part of all the above and some other things I'm not even mentioning? It's kind of all of the above. I think that of course, there's a large segment of our population who do not trust Western medicine, but they know that they need Western medicine. And when they talk to traditional healers, the traditional healers will frequently say, cancer is a white man's disease, so you need to use white man's medicine to help treat it. The other thing that they will do, though, is regardless of what the other beliefs are, is most people feel that traditional Indian medicine um, and some type of spiritual healing helps them in whatever they're going to deal with. Depending on the tribe, there's different ceremonies that they go through. In some ceremonies, it takes six months to prepare for them. So what has worked, and again, what our uh, Native advocates, our local ladies who answer our phones and help people get into care, uh, what they do is they talk to the patient, they talk to the traditional Indian healer. Uh, 
and they say, you know, this patient can't wait six months to start treatment, what can we do? And the traditional Indian healers have been very, very open. They've been very good. They'll say, you know, have another family member do the ceremony for them. Let's do a prayer together. Let's do this thing together. And and that thing is usually a a private thing that you're not allowed to talk about outside of uh, the family. And they will do basically a short ceremony of some type. And then they, um, the patient starts the care knowing that other members of her family or his family are taking part in the healing, the traditional Indian ceremony that may take many months. Can we talk a little bit about uh, differences between urban Indian clinics and tribal clinics? There's about 35 urban Indian clinics that receive some funding from Indian Health Service. So even though more than 60% of Indians and Alaska Natives live in urban areas, uh, 1 to 2% of the entire Indian Health Service budget goes for urban Indian care. That is the 1 to 2% that President Bush just recently attempted to cut out again. This is the second time in less than four months that he's attempted to eliminate the entire urban Indian budget. Even though it's a itty-bitty amount of money from the Fed's perspective, it keeps our clinics up and running, and we really need that support in our urban Indian programs. The majority of our programs right now, because of how how incredibly challenging funding has been to keep them up and running, many of them just do referral. Uh, some of them provide complete services, but they still have to refer out for something such as cancer. But they're able to do some general standard medical health care, such as at Seattle Indian Health Board in the Oakland um, Indian Program. Uh, the majority of others do not. The urban Indian programs can also apply for Medicare and Medicaid. Um, they also get WIC monies. So they can run programs from, you know, from prenatal care on through. None of the Indian programs cover palliative care. None of them cover hospice care. So those have to go through other channels when somebody gets close to end of life or if they have chronic cancer, which that is becoming more of an issue that people aren't dying from cancer, but they have chronic cancer and side effects from it. Sure, and the treatments. Can we talk a little bit about contracted health care dollars and what that means and, and the challenge they are posing towards advancing health care? Contracted health service means that when you go to your local clinic um, and they provide direct care, the clinics, whether it's urban or reservation, they know that they cannot provide full comprehensive care. So they refer people out. Every year, fiscal year begins October 1, the health priorities for that community are prioritized by the tribal leaders, the tribal health council, with assistance of Indian Health Service people who are working with them, or if the tribe owns their own clinic, they do it independently. The urban clinics, likewise, can either do it independently or in partnership with IHS. And they rank the health conditions. Well, you get your contracted health service dollars, assuming you're not under a federal freeze. And if you are at the top of the list, if your condition is at the top of the list, you get referred out for care. It does the system doesn't work very well for a disease such as cancer. For example, of the 565 federally recognized tribes, there's only 20 that have cancer within 
the top five health conditions. Now that means that if I'm listed lower than that, on, or my condition is listed lower than that, they're going to refer other people out before they refer me, which means I may never get referred. And by refer out, meaning using, using dollars from the tribe itself to pay for your care? No, using dollars from contracted health service. Okay. So it's a separate fund, and each tribe has a different amount. And every tribe is underfunded by 40 to 60% of what they needed from the previous year. So every year, that's why the tribes are forced into this position, and the urban Indian clinics are forced into the same um, situation. You have to decide which conditions you're going to refer out, which are top priority conditions, and which ones are you not going to worry about. In the 1990s, you almost never saw cancer in the top 10, which made it even more difficult. But part of that was because the leadership basically believed that cancer was a death sentence. Well, cancer is no longer a death sentence, um, and it needs to be higher up on the priority list. So part of the issue is, is educating tribal leaders as to what can be fruitfully done for patients with, the, with various types of cancer, it sounds like. Part of it is that. Part of it is that people need to be getting the appropriate monies that they're supposed to be getting according to their independent agreements with Congress. And every year they get them cut more and more. And, of course, health care dollars are going up more. The amount of money that goes to Indian Health Service per patient is less than what a prisoner gets in the United States. If you look at every formalized form of health care and health support, and services, Indian Health Service is the lowest. Wow. Uh-huh. It's pretty ridiculous. What can you tell us uh, briefly about for patients that choose not to enter the Western uh, medicine? I don't think uh, many of our listeners are familiar with traditional herbal treatments. Can you tell us a little something about that? Traditional Indian medicine doesn't mean that it's urban or it's reservation. Mm-hmm. Um, there are sometimes that a healer comes to the city to work with the patient and the family, Sometimes the patient and family go back to the reservation. Uh, sometimes there is somebody local who will help work with them. And many different things are done. There are formal ceremonies that can be quite extensive, and they're very expensive in terms of you have to provide food and gifts, several other things. Um, a lot of people misinterpret because they think that it means like it's a sweat lodge, and a lot of uh, physicians know about sweat lodges, but it, the ceremonies that are done in the traditional Indian medication is not that at all. It is also individualized to the patient. So if we have two patients and they have cancer and they go to the same healer, the healer may prepare a tea for one of them to drink five times a day and a totally different combination of herbs and other things that go in the tea for the second patient. What's real important for physicians is they need to know what's going in the tea because some of the herbs that are in the tea can actually interfere with chemotherapy or it may augment it in a way that increases side effects. Absolutely. So it's important for the traditional Indian healer and the Western provider to work together. What is interesting is the number of people who go through traditional Indian medicine and have phenomenal beneficial effects that pretty much throw all the Western medicine prognosis out the window. In particular, pain medication. Many of our patients are frightened to take pain medication because it may have been a 
recovering alcoholic and been successful for several years of no longer drinking or not using other drugs. Well, they start talking about pain medication, and they're concerned about recidivism of becoming a drunk again. And so they don't want to take the pain medication. They go to the traditional Indian healer, and some of these healers have come up with combination of teas and ointments and poultices that have relieved the pain of the patient, which is phenomenal. I think we need to find out more about those things and get them out to the general population and have them studied. Uh, I'd like to thank Dr. Linda Baran-Stampinoff, who has been our guest today. We've been discussing the challenges for Native Americans uh, looking for cancer treatment. I'm Dr. Joel Heller. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.